Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. What do you think about immigrants? Are they people with skills and workers or a drain on society? Our attitudes towards immigration have become a major issue all around the world for communities, employers and policymakers. Would your attitude towards migrants and refugees become more positive if you knew people migrating into your area were economically contributing to your area, paying their taxes and putting their efforts back into your community? Meet social impact pioneers, Ricardo Martin Garcia Tafur and Mikol Pistelli. They have been working tirelessly to develop better banking models for displaced people. Financial services that help migrants to get contributing to their local economies, helping people all around the world. Mikol is a Senior Financial Inclusion Coordinator at the UNHCR, which stands for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. They are the United Nations agency mandated to aid and protect refugees, forcibly displaced communities and stateless people. Nicole has two decades of experience getting finance and microfinance really working, helping people to build their own businesses and in turn to tackle poverty. Ricardo is an economist specialised in international development with more than 25 years of global experience on issues related to financial inclusion. He works as a senior operations officer at the International Finance Corporation, also known as the IFC, which is part of the World Bank. So without further ado, I look forward to hearing their wisdom. Mikol, Ricardo, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Great to have you guys. I started off this conversation, I really would love to deep dive into why, quite frankly, you guys come to be working together. Mikol, perhaps you wouldn't mind going first. You have been working together to better support displaced people with financial services. Can you share a bit about why this is such a problem? Uh, thank you, thank you, Katie, for uh, uh, for this question. So, um, so that's right. Um, UNSCR and IFC have been collaborating for quite some time now to support displaced people with with financial services in uh, in several contexts. So, maybe a little bit of of background just to to phrase the problem. So, currently, there are at least 103 million people around the world who have been forcibly displaced for for various reasons from their homes. And among them, there are over 32 million uh, who are, uh, refugees who have the refugee status. Now, Latin America, which is the region where Ricardo and I have been working together since uh, 2019, uh, starting with Brazil and Colombia, and then more recently in Ecuador and Peru, uh, well, it's a region that hosts nearly 20 million people in need of international protection, which is about uh, 20% of the, of the global total. So access to financial services is, is really indispensable to their economic survival and also to be able to better plan for, for the future. 
whether that means staying in their country of asylum, returning to their home country, or resettling in a third country. So without having access to financial services, displaced persons as, a, you know, as, a, as also migrants in general, and anyone cannot really open an account in order to, for example, receive wages whenever they found employment, to safeguard the savings that they have, to securely receive or to send money. And then if they wanted to be entrepreneurs, they need credit to start a business, to invest, to, to buy assets, as well as to send the kids to school in order to, to invest in education or in their own adult education. This is really fundamental issues because uh, we give for granted that having access to, to a financial account is, uh, you know, for us is a, is a given. We cannot even think about what the life would be without having access to, to such services. But uh, in the case of displaced persons and, uh, you know, refugees, but, uh, you know, when we talk about the, the Americas, we really talk about a mixed migration movement. They have specific hurdles. Uh, which becomes very difficult for them to access these services. And um, and so uh, it is the work that UNSCR and IFC have been doing is trying to, to map what are the main barriers that this population faces and then to find some concrete solutions to, to overcome them. And I'd be happy to speak more about this if you want. Yes, please. In a bit, Nicole. Hold on. I want to bring in Ricardo at this point. So from IFC's perspective, I mean, why is this such a problem for, for you guys or something that you feel that you need to get involved with? So what we have been seeing is that financial institutions in this case, first of all, they don't have the whole information about market potential. So we present to them this population as a business opportunity. So for that, we need to get information about the profiles, about the needs, something that Nicole already explained. So what are the needs in terms of financial services like savings, the needs of financial services like remittances, and later on, whenever they are integrated in the society to get access to credit for continued growing. So we also identify several internal barriers of financial entities that need to be tackled. So IFC is engaging with private sector in general for private sector development, and it's our aim to engage you know, closer with financial institutions and support them to mitigate, to reduce those barriers. I can speak about some of them. In some cases, they don't have a value offer. So services and products that are designed or tailored or adapted to, um, for, for these uh, populations, they don't have the market information. Sometimes they don't have also the staff trained, the staff sensitized, which is super important. And the reason because I'm emphasizing on this is that management level at the staff level there are paradigms of risks regarding the serving migrants and refugees. There are stereotypes, misconceptions that need to be mitigated, need to be addressed in order for them to be more empathic and more comprehensive in terms of their value offer towards these, these segments. So we have been actively working with financial institutions in that regard through our advisory services and also investment services. It's work in progress. At the same time, we have been engaging with other stakeholders like regulators and also entities that come from the financial infrastructure, for example, credit bureau systems, in order to have a smooth flow of data and information that can serve for financial institutions to assess the possibility to serve these people. And we're going to come on in a bit, a bit more about that kind of that system approach at trying to include lots of people. But I want to just sort of row back a little bit and just talk about you guys. Both of you separately have invested so much time, much of your careers into trying to figure out how to make money do good 
quite frankly. Maybe I've got that completely wrong. But I was just wondering, what is it that brought you to this problem? What is it that's brought you, Michal, from UNHCR, Ricardo from IFC, to this point to be working on this problem? Michal, could you go perhaps first? Like, What's your sort of personal journey? Yeah, sure. Well, I think it very much relates to my origins. I am, I am Italian. And so Italy is a very central position in, in the Mediterranean. It kind of represents a, a sort of a bridge between Africa and Europe. And it's one of the first countries which is reached by immigrants when, when they, they try to, to arrive in Europe. And so uh, we've been witnessing thousands of migrants and refugees that have been landing on the Italian shores, um, passing through the, the Sicily channel and so i think i uh, really developed uh, a special interest in the topic and and maybe particular empathy i would say for those people who go through these uh, very previous uh, journeys and and once they arrive uh, they have in front of them a very uncertain future and they have a very high chance to you know to, to suffer from poverty to to social exclusion it's very difficult to find a regular employment and 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 worst uh, they can also become subject to, 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 to exploitation, to trafficking. So this is really the main reason why I've been always driven to think about doing something for them. And then my background is, uh, is in development finance, is in financial services. I've been working many years uh, for, for the mix. So I was working on data analysis, uh, working with microfinance institution. And, uh, and so for me, there has been really growing interest to think, how can we apply the knowledge that we have in the financial sector to really put in practice uh, what financial inclusion is about uh, and uh, how can we ensure that also the most excluded people and uh, refugees and migrants are uh, a subsegment of them, a growing one, a very important one. Can they also have access to, to fundamental financial products and, and services? It's really that coupling of things that you deeply care about and the skills that you can bring to it. Ricardo, what about yourself? Like, wh- what brought you to this point in, in your own sort of life? I have been working already more than 25 years on financial inclusion aspects, and I started working in my own country in Peru. When I started working on on that, uh, I've been basically providing financial services, microfinance services to entrepreneurs that were settled in the peripheries of large cities like Lima, for example, which is capital of Peru. We passed through a difficult time by mid and the end of the 1980s and early 90s with terrorism in Peru, the Shining Path and other terrorist groups that actually forced many people to internally displace from rural areas, especially from the highlands to the main cities. So the work that I had been doing with microfinance institutions at that time and then later on with a commercial bank was actually to serve people that mobilize from those places and try to establish and to build their own lives in the outskirts of large cities like Lima. And that actually drove the success of microfinance institutions later on, which became much more sophisticated, but it was just the beginning. So when I remember that, and when I see that as a parallel and how institutions were I say, adapting and being able enough to, to serve informal, what was 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 considered by that time informal group of people, no, without documents or without business that register, etc. So I've been traveling and working in many places globally. So when I actually had the chance to come back in my career back to Latin America, I was wondering what is actually what we can do in terms of financial inclusion. What is the next frontier 
we have been working uh, supporting local microentrepreneurs, but actually in Latin America, we have this migration crisis ongoing and it was necessary to do in a way or another to tackle that. And we have a strong experience that we can leverage in the region, in countries like Peru, in countries like Colombia, Ecuador, and some countries also like Brazil, that we can actually, you know, take on in terms of supporting vulnerable segments like migrants and refugees. So that was my personal and slash professional kind of experience, but I'm still very, very much committed on that. And I'm currently working in the IFC, UNHCR joint initiative, trying to support uh, different uh, teams uh, in IFC and UNHCR, provide um, solutions and initiatives that can tackle this problem. Um, Ricardo, I wanted to stick with you. You mentioned earlier on the kind of network approach, that systems of bringing lots of different players together. You've particularly focused in bringing in financial service providers and sort of host country authorities. Can you delve into that a bit more? Why is it important? What have you found from these sort of conversations? How is it working? Yes, we have been engaging in general in IFC to try to engage more the private sector on the forces placement agenda for about more than 10 years. We have projects in Africa, we have projects in the Middle East. And then later on, with the migration crisis in Venezuela and subsequently with the migration crisis in Europe, the Ukrainian war. So we have been also trying to tackle those, those aspects. On financial inclusion specifically, we have been working with financial institutions. First of all, bringing them more information about market opportunity, business case, on how they can actually see migrants and refugees as a potential market. At the same time, we have been encouraging these entities and any other private sector company to also absorb the, the labor and workforce, you know, because people that are moving from one country to another, they already have experiences and skills that they can actually provide to private sector companies. Another way is actually to encourage private sector companies to foster entrepreneurship and later on absorb entrepreneurs as part of the value chain or the distribution channels. So there are many ways that we can actually engage with private sector. In particular, with financial institutions, as I said, the focus was mostly on engaging them on providing financial services, products and services to, to these populations as per the needs that actually Nicole portrayed in the first question. We actually engage with them and to help them to design and implement what we call value propositions which not only is about products and services, but it's also about channels. It's also about communication. It's also about empathy, as I mentioned before, and sensitizing about how to serve these, these populations. It's about training staff and for the staff to be ready to, to actually approach to, to these populations in a meaningful manner. But also it's adapting policies, it's adapting processes and procedures because sometimes institutions um, used to serve equally not equitably, different kind of segments. So, so, for example, the requirements for getting access to financial services for migrants and refugees are the same that for local uh, populations. In some cases, uh, migrants and refugees don't have the same documents, the same type of documents, or the validity of those documents is not the same like for local people. So there should be certain level of adaptation. Some institutions are not ready also to register those documents in their systems, so there, there needs to be a certain level of update in terms of the core banking system. So there are many examples in which actually we try to facilitate, we try to mitigate the internal barriers at the financial institutions 
And whenever it's feasible for them actually to require a financing, we as a development financial institution, we can provide financing to the risk their operations to reduce or mitigate the risk, at the same time to fund the possibility for them to provide, in this case, for example, credit to those populations. So that's more or less in, in, in general terms what we have been doing. General, but quite specific. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ricardo. Totally. <laughs> really interesting pieces in there. That's, you know, it's sort of laying out for anybody listening. I'll do my best to try and sort of write them into the words that sit alongside so you get a bit of a sort of takeaway from the conversation. Mikkel, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? I feel like Ricardo went through fairly thoroughly through a number <laughs> of the ways. But is there anything you want it's to add? It is. Maybe just to add, since you were also mentioning the role of the the country's authorities, I think in your question. So maybe just to stress that uh, having an enabling regulatory environment is a prerequisite in order to foster access to financial services for for refugees and for migrants. And so this is really one of the key roles that UNICEF plays to connect with the the central banks, with with the governments, with the local authorities. So that uh, refugees' IDs and uh, you know any any form of documentation can be accepted in order to to access uh, essential financial services. And uh, there have been really several important steps that have been made both in in the Latin America region as well as in many other geographies at uh, at this regard. And perhaps also since we've been really speaking about the hurdles that refugees face in terms of, of legal barriers or access to the private sector. I would also like to stress another point where both Ricardo and I have been really focusing on as well, which is the other side of the coin, which is uh, there are also barriers on the demand side, meaning many refugees are often unaware of their legal rights to access financial services or that there are financial service providers that are, that are willing to, or to offer that, you know, credit loans for, for their enterprises and, and other financial services. So it is really very important uh, as well to invest uh, into awareness among the refugees and the migrants community to support their their financial uh, literacy skills. And in this regard, we have been really having uh, um, some successful stories in terms of working with, uh, with the central banks, with, with government authorities to come up with, uh, with the information material for migrants, for refugees to help them understand how the national financial system works, how to conduct banking trans- transactions. And so I think this is also an important uh, piece to to stress, also also to look at uh, informing refugees and migrants about about their rights and the opportunities. So, Nicole, staying with you, could you share a bit of an example, perhaps, about how that might work in practice? So what what would be the perhaps experience for somebody who's been displaced journey or, or perhaps the sort of outcomes of the collaborations? Sure, sure. Maybe I can I give you just a couple of, of examples coming again from, from the, the Americas, because this has been inspiring other countries now very far away to, to replicate. So one of them comes from the work that, um, that we did in Brazil, where there's been a financial information booklet that's been launched for migrants and, and the refugees. And IFC and UNICEF, in collaboration with the Brazilian Banking Association, the Central Bank of Brazil, been producing a short guide to, to also inform a financial institution about the profile and the specific documents of refugees and migrants and their financial needs. And we, said, we saw that in practice, this really changed the perceptions on both sides about what could be the offer in, in the country. And so we really think that this, alongside with the, the advocacy effort, the workshop that we did, the business visits, that we organized the market assessment that uh, that Ricardo was mentioning was making reference to before. 
I think is also a very important piece. Um, and we've been doing something similar also in, in Colombia. This, this guide, in fact, in Brazil served as a reference for, for an orientation guide to, to the Colombian financial systems, which has been published a few months back by, by the Colombian Banking Association. And, uh, and now there are also there are authorities like the Peruvian financial sector regulatory authorities, which uh, is also looking into developing a similar guide to inform an institution about the profiles, the characteristic of migrants. So I really wanted to keep stressing the fact that information data sharing is absolutely fundamental alongside all the other things that, that Ricardo was mentioning before about what we can do to make uh, the business case of serving this, uh, this population more, more visible to the private sector. I found news in that regard because actually Peruvian regulator actually issued a guide already. So, And Ricardo, did you want to build on that? And, and, and in, the, in the spirit of, of sharing, I will do my very best to make sure that the links to all those guides, workshop outputs, market assessments, etc., for anybody listening, they'll also be in those words that sit alongside. So we'll make sure we get that through to you. Sorry, Ricardo, I, I tried to jump in there. Are there any other kind of um, pieces that you wanted to add in? Well, what happened is basically, and we, we have been hearing a lot from UNHCR, and because UNHCR has direct contact with, with migrants, refugees, actually uh, having barriers, having pain points in terms of getting access to financial services. So they, they approach to a bank, to a financial entity branch, and then they receive one answer in one branch from the same bank and then another answer in, in, in another branch from the same bank. So, and sometimes they say it's, it's a positive answer can be or, or a negative answer. So we realize that there is no information among the different financial institutions and the different channels inside of, of, of the, these financial institutions in regard on how to serve migrants and refugees, in regard also about the regulation, because in some cases and the countries that actually Nicole mentioned, the regulator, sorry, it's, it's actually open and actually enable the possibility for financial institutions to accept different documents coming from or being issued to migrants and refugees. But the financial institutions were not aware about those. And then if you escalate that down to the to the commercial channels, the branches in particular, or the customer services line, they also actually are not aware, they are not informed. So what we did is basically to try to facilitate that process. We're still a work in progress. And now we are actually also including uh, the credit bureau systems in place, because at the end, whenever somebody gets access to a credit, for example, or, 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 or to other financial service, they can be registered and they can have a track record on the usage of financial services registered in the credit bureau system. And that information is usually used by financial institutions in order to profile and to, to, to state a, a rating or, or, a, or a scoring in regard to any, any individual that they can serve. So, as I said, it's not only industry players, but we are talking about also what we call stakeholders from the financial infrastructure side. So I'm using technical words, sorry, but but basically it's more or less what we have at the moment. Oh, but such important work just to try and share that understanding. I mean, I can't imagine the frustration of, you know, not only if you, you're not in your own country or you're displaced within your own country, but then having completely different conversations with different banks or financial organisations just trying to open your bank account or get your business off the ground. Mikkel, therefore, I was wondering, do you have a sort of sense of top three tips or messages for someone who might be sitting within a financial organisation or within the private sector who's wishing to better support displaced people? 
Well, yes, I would say that uh, this comes uh, from my own experience of meeting uh, many financial service providers in different country contexts. And at the very beginning, they all have the same reactions when, uh, you know, when we convene them in a meeting to discuss the possibility of extending their products and services to refugees. They always come with some predefined idea of what the market could be. So they, they often think about a very vulnerable population, which um, might be uh, staying in the country only for a short period of time. They're just subject of humanitarian aid. And, and then as soon as they have the chance, not only to hear the data that we can provide them about their socioeconomic profile, but uh, most importantly, whenever they have the chance to meet these people, especially those ones that are entrepreneurs, those ones that have some specific business idea to, to start or to expand in the country and that they can prove that they really want to, to stay and contribute to the host country's community and, and you know, to care for their family, to be there, then the perception immediately changes. So the first recommendation really comes from there. For me is to you know, try to go over the prejudice and the, and the preconception that often come just by reading the headlines of newspapers and the social media. But really, if you're interested to get to know more about what you can do for this population is, is get the data. So contact UNHCR uh, in, in your country or, or any other supporting organization that is working with the refugees, with, with migrants. Uh, there are so many. And really go there, gather as much as data as, uh, as you can, ask your question, try to see where um, refugees and migrants uh, gather. And, and then if you have any product to offer them, might be financial product or if you're interested in hiring displaced persons, there is now a really good network of, of information in, in so many countries that you can have access to. So the first thing is really familiarize with this, with this sector. And then this really comes from uh, the examples that we have from many financial service providers. They always you know, start small. They always start with a pilot. Once they have access to data, they say, let's try. Let's see how this goes. And so far, the results has been extremely encouraging when it comes at least to, um, you know, to microfinance, contrary to the, to the risk perception that often comes along with, uh, you know, providing credit to, um, to low income population that uh, might still be in transit. Data, on the contrary, show that uh, in so many countries where microfinance institutions have been lending to the refugees, the repayment rate has been just as good as, as the one of the host community. And we have really this data for so many countries now. So as you do the pilot test, you learn from the data and then you decide whether you want to expand. And so it's really about having this data feeding your own business process and, and your um, managerial uh, decision. And then my experience so far is that uh, the, the most successful institution in in serving refugees are those where you know the, there is a strong empathy for sure for about the, the the topic and this really comes across the organization. So it's really about learning and then feeding this information across the organization from you know from the board, the management, the staff, the ones that are at the forefront, um, maybe financial institution, you know, the they might be the, from the loan officers or to from a front desk in a bank. So it's really to cross-pollinate and being sure that this information is, is shared across the institution so that there is a culture of uh, you know, increased empathy 
about the, the needs of these people, but also really see them as a big opportunity. This is not just about doing you know, some humanitarian work. This is very much about uh, identifying whether there is a business potential to, to work with this underserved population and then what they can bring to the institution, what, what is the skills that they can bring, what is the, you know, their own values, which is, um, I think, one of the uh, things that I really like the most to, to hear from, from many institutions when I have the chance to, to work with the refugees is really the fact of, uh, of how it enriches their work to, to understand the difference of uh, the different skills, the complementary skills that people from different countries bring. The fact, you know, that you invest in an entrepreneur that, um, I don't know, it's typical in, in a restaurant that is bringing new culinary tradition in a country. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a lawyer from the DRC in Brazil that became a chef and it became one of the most popular restaurants in his neighborhood. Uh, and he was mixing, um, uh, you know, recipes from its, its tradition in the DRC with Brazilian recipe coming up with very unique uh, specialties that Brazilians loved. And the restaurant was always full. So, you know, it's, uh, it's also, it goes beyond supporting people. It's really about what they can bring to the, to the society and to, to yeah, reach the community where they're living. Ricardo, what about yourself? What would be your sort of top... Yeah. Top well, tips or, or message <laughs> to someone who difficult, <laughs> difficult to add after what Nicole said, but actually fully, fully agree. The first thing is any private sector company or any financial institution in particular, first of all, is to, to understand the potential in, in the potential in different ways, you know, the potential of serving this population as a market, you know, creating the business case that we talk about along the, the podcast. But also um, the potential for also um, labor and workforce absorption, and it's very much linked also to the possibility for the for the institutions, for the for the private sector companies to offer something you know that is impactful to those populations. Imagine you know if you if you reach uh, you are a migrant and you reach a bank uh, requesting financial services, and somebody from your country, which actually passed through the same migration journey as you is there to serve you, is there to provide you information and to help you going through the process of getting access to these services. It's very impactful, right? So we have been encouraging institutions to do both because it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. At the same time, whenever you have these people also being part of your staff, you are enhancing your diversity, equity, and inclusion standards. But for that, I will advise for entities to actually create that environment, create that working environment uh, for, for people to be integrated and to have the same rights and the same access to, to, to any benefits that are usually for, for local stuff. That said, in addition, uh, the potential going uh, even forward, many of migrants and refugees forces, these populations are becoming or sometimes they're bringing their entrepreneurial skills and capabilities. Um, and some of them actually, as Nicole explained, some of them arrive to the country and they are already having certain level of skills. Some of them actually had to acquire by need. But I will say that I've been extremely surprised and, and I have a, a, a huge respect for the resilience and the creativity and the innovation that actually these people are bringing to the host countries, to the host communities. In my experience, actually having the chance to interview and then conduct focus groups with several of Venezuela, my entrepreneurs, and also from other countries, 
actually I I witnessed that. So Venezuela is not very known as a as a country that actually fosters entrepreneurship very much like Peru or Colombia or Bolivia or Ecuador. But actually people arrive in neighboring countries and they learn exactly, you know, how the market works, what they can add in terms of value offering a service that it differentiated them from the, the local uh, entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurship is actually something that companies need to actually encourage and to foster. And actually that also is linked to financial institutions Financial institutions can offer what is called non-financial services, basically to, to enhance and to create capabilities of entrepreneurship of clients and potential clients that actually will keep their financial services more sustainable. Because these people, as much as they grow, they will require other services. They will require larger loans, uh, lines of loans, for example, lines of credit, right? So because they are developing. So I think uh, my advice will be to see this not as a burden. Migration is something that has been there for centuries and has been part of the history of humanity. It's not going to stop. It's exacerbated by many, many factors right now. Climate change is actually one of those, but also issues of, of violence and conflict also. So it's important for institutions and for, for, for regulators, etc., for other stakeholders to understand the potential of this and to try to mitigate the social and economic pressure that these populations can add to neighboring countries. Most of them are actually developing countries, but we need to actually think through uh, ways or solutions of integration that can actually create that potential and these people can start adding to the economic development of the countries that are being hosted. I feel like I could listen to you guys and learn so much from you for, for, forever, but I, I need to sort of round off this conversation in the last few minutes. And so I'd love to hear what's next for you, both in terms of your work, but also your personal kind of journey. Nicole, would you mind going first? Like, where are you going next? What's, what's your sort of your personal and your, and your work next steps? So on personal journey, definitely continue working what I'm doing at UNICR. We are, we are expanding. This, this area is becoming increasingly a priority for us to, to work on. And so we are really investing also in capacitating our, um, our staff on the field who are at the forefront working with the refugees with, uh, with all the, the essential knowledge, with the financial education, with um, really the, the skills in order to keep doing their, their job at best. So definitely I see UNICR keeping doing what it's been doing in terms of uh, working with the private sector, with development financial institutions such as, uh, as IFC across the regions to change the, the regulatory framework so that more refugees uh, are allowed to access uh, and all the other forcibly displaced are allowed to access financial services and uh, really to leverage innovation, digital technologies to, to expand, to, to lower the cost. We are very interested in to expand the work uh, um, on, on transborder payments and remittances. There is a huge potential there to grow, to, to reduce the cost to improve access to people. In many countries, remittances represent a very important uh, source of income for not only the displaced, for, for uh, you know, whoever has also um, relatives uh, abroad. And then another important area is uh, very much linked to, um, to the climate change, which is creating internal displacement at very high levels. Now, you know, this is uh, an increasingly worrisome trend and there are also financial products uh, that needs to be tailored for, for smallholder farmers 
thinking about the Sahel region, which is one of the fastest growing displacement crises in, in the world. You know, there has been almost 3 million people that have been uh, fleeing both within the countries and across borders. So we're really thinking about what innovation can bring in terms of microinsurance, for example, and how can we best support this, uh, this population? Because it's really going to be a new, a new trend. So there are many more and more things that we look forward to, to work on. And, and IFC, again, is going to be a really important partner, especially for the, for the investment side. This is really the complementarity role of the two organizations working with them between a humanitarian agency and, uh, and the development of financial institution. Amazing, exciting times. And what about yourself, Ricardo? Well, continuing the last part that Nicole mentioned, actually, I've been working most of my life on financial inclusion only. And now this year, I've moved to the newly created IFC UNHCR joint initiative, which are trying to complement, you know, the added value from UNHCR on social protection and the value of IFC engaging with the private sector development. So I'm part of this team right now. I mean, I'm looking forward to still working very closely with, with Nicole now that we are part of this joint initiative. I'm looking at different regions that I didn't have a chance to look before because I was mostly uh, working in Latin America and Europe. So that is new for me and also other aspects beyond financial inclusion. So for example, labor and workforce absorption, um, value chain integration, also aspects or initiatives related to food security, and as, as, as Nicole also mentioned before, climate change. So we are looking at it in a different perspective right now. So I'm moving in, in my perspective from financial sector to real sector as well, and trying to complement both, because both actually are very much needed uh, in terms of this socioeconomic integration or forced displaced population. And here we are talking not only about people that move from one country to another, but as Nicole also mentioned, internal displacement. And at the same time, we are looking at to what extent, you know, the socioeconomic pressure over the host communities is being exerted. So we need to also look for solutions for these host communities because most of these populations are actually moving to developing countries. So IFC is trying to see this in a more holistic manner and having the partnership with UNHCR help us to, to have that, that possibility and, and that in a more comprehensive manner in terms of our approach. Oh, well, very best of luck to you guys, both of you and the organisations uh, that are working with you. Thank you so much for your time today and, and for sharing that, both the wisdom, the experience, but also really practical kind of getting drilling down into like, how do you do this? So, um, Nicole and uh, Ricardo, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you okay, nice to talking to you, Nicole. <laughs> Likewise, thanks. Bye. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.